Well, today we're going to dive back into our series called Don't Stop Now. Over these last few weeks as a church family, we've been studying the Old Testament book of Haggai together. And we've looked at chapter one. And today we're going to jump into chapter two as we come to the second half of this series. And we'll be reading from Haggai 2 verse 1 to 3. This is what it says. Then Haggai on October 17th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Sheotil, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. You know, one of my favorite things to watch on TV at this moment in time is sports documentaries. I love watching them. I watch football ones, American football ones, tennis ones, rugby ones. I've really got into it over these last few months. And I was watching a documentary recently about one of the most famous golfers of all time. Even if you didn't know that this guy was associated with golf, I'm sure you would have heard of his name. His name is Tiger Woods. He's the most famous golfer that there is. And his rise to fame was incredible. He burst onto the global scene in 1997 when he won the golf's most prestigious event, the most prestigious, pre prestigious championship called the Masters. He won the green jacket and along the way, he ended up smashing all different types of golf records. It was an incredible rise to fame. Not only that, momentum was behind him and he began to win championship after championship. In 2001, he won his second Masters Championship and he kept on win winning and breaking records and it was Tiger Mania. Everybody wanted to be like Tiger. Amateur golfers, they were trying to copy Tiger's swing so that they could be successful on the golf course. Children were dragging their parents to golf courses and demanding golf lessons. Advertisers, they were flocking to Tiger Woods and you know different sponsors were just splashing the cash on Tiger. They wanted Tiger Woods to represent their companies and he signed mega multi-million dollar deals with companies like Nike and American Express. Tiger Woods had incredible momentum and from the late 90s into the early 2000s everybody wanted to be like Tiger. He was at the top of his game. Everything that Tiger Woods touched turned to gold. He had this incredible momentum behind him. However in 2009 Tiger Woods he had this this bizarre car crash. He had this bizarre accident. And following this accident, lots of different things had leaked from his life. Lots of things that was corrupt he, about him having affairs and things like this. He, he wasn't the guy that everybody thought that he was. And his career started to get tarnished. And eventually it was in tatters. You know, he unfortunately, even to this day, he, he hasn't hit those heights that he did in the early 2000s. Tiger Mania came to a crash. You know, momentum is an incredible thing. Momentum can be an accelerating ride. Tiger Woods had incredible momentum behind him. Many sports teams, I'm sure you've watched, have, have incredible momentum behind them. I'm hoping Liverpool, my team, they, I'm hoping they'll have momentum as they, they come towards the end of the season and win lots of football tournaments and, and titles. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, momentum is an incredible thing. An incredible thing. It's like an, adre an adrenaline rush. If you've ever been on a ro roller coaster, you know what it's like, the ebb and flow of a roller coaster. You know, when, you, when you've got momentum behind you in life, in whatever you touch, it seems like everything you touch turns to gold. It seems like anything can happen 
and it probably will. And you know, we can even have spiritual momentum as well as as followers of Jesus. We can know the momentum of God, the hand of God upon us, and knowing God's blessing within our lives. You know, the Amplified version of the Bible it says the momentum is is somebody who's blessed, somebody who's happy, somebody who's fortunate, and to be envied. That's what it's like to have momentum behind you. I'm sure you've experienced momentum in your life, maybe in your workplace, maybe it's to do with your studies, maybe it's relationship, whether it's just life in general. You've just known good times and you've known that great thrill of momentum behind you. Momentum is a powerful thing. However, there are things that can come into our lives that can hinder that momentum. These things I like to call momentum killers and they can happen to us. We can be riding that wave of momentum and all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere, something comes into our lives and it derails that momentum. And you know, where we lose momentum, it's the hardest thing in the world to get back. You know, I know what it's like even as a pastor, even as a pastor of a church, I know what it's like to have momentum in a church, to see salvation. I believe we're in that season at this moment. We've got a holy momentum behind us as a church, seeing people getting saved on a regular basis, on a monthly basis. We're seeing people's lives turn around, people growing and they walk with the Lord. But I also know that when you don't have momentum, it's hard, especially within church life, it is hard. You know, the people of God, they discovered the thrill of momentum here in the book of Haggai. The people of God, they knew what it was like to have momentum in their life. We see that as we've looked at in chapter one, the people of God, they'd been exile, in exile in Babylon for 70 years because they refused to listen to the warnings of God and they were disobeying God and worshiping other gods. And, and as a result, God raised up the Babylonian empire and they, he allowed the Babylonians to come and destroy the homeland of the people of God, Judah and Jerusalem. And everything was in ruins. The temple was in ruins, their homes were in ruins, their lives were in ruins, and they were taken into exile, into captivity. But then after the 70 years, after Jeremiah had prophesied that would happen, after the 70 years, God moved on the heart of the new king who had taken the place of the Babylonian king. We see that King Cyrus, who, who was the Persian king, the Persian empire had overthrown the Babylonian empire. And king Cyrus was moved by God to allow God's people to go back to their homeland. So a small remnant of God's people, 50,000, led by Zerubbabel, the governor, and Jeshua, the high priest. They go back to their homeland, but as they get there, everything is in ruins. Can you imagine that? You know, the walls were broken down, their homes were ruined, the temple, the place of worship, Solomon's temple, it was in ruins. But you know, the first thing that the people of God did when they got back to their homeland was they built an altar to worship God. They wanted to thank God for his provision, for his goodness, for his faithfulness to his word and faithfulness to them during that difficult season. And then they get back to building the re rebuilding the temple of God, the place of worship. That was their priority. And they build the foundation and it's a great day of celebration for God's people. But we've seen that, that all of a sudden the people of God faced opposition. Opposition within, opposition without. They began to lose their love for God and they had opposition from other people who had settled in the land. And King Artaxerxes, he had received a letter from the people and he instructed God's people to stop building the temple. And so for 15 years, work on the temple came to a standstill. But you know, God is faithful as we've seen in the series. What God starts, he completes. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And, and God, he called a man by the name of Haggai, who was a prophet of God, 
And he gave a Haggai a message to encourage the people and say, come on, guys, it's time to get back to work now. It's time to rebuild the temple. But the people of God, they disagreed. They said it's not the right time to rebuild the temple. And the reason for that was because their priorities had changed. They had put themselves first instead of putting God, instead of putting God first. And so Haggai comes again with another message from God and says, consider your ways. Put God first again in your life. It hasn't worked out for you trying to live for yourself and put you, yourself number one. So instead, put God first and watch how God will bless you. And so the people of God, they respond and they obey God and they begin to obey God and begin to rebuild the temple and God blesses them. God revives them. The spirit of God revives them. They have a new fresh love and passion for the Lord. They begin serving the Lord and they all work together on rebuilding the temple. That's the end of chapter one. But now as we come to the start of chapter two, we fast forward to four weeks later after work had begun on rebuilding the temple. It was an exciting time. They had this holy momentum behind the people. It was incredible for the people of God. People were working together. Momentum was behind them. I'm sure it was exciting to see this temple finally begin to take shape. The people were united together and they were looking forward to having a place to worship the Lord. However, we see in this moment, in the first few verses of chapter 2, this holy momentum comes to a standstill. There's opposition to this momentum to try and stop and derail this momentum. And, you know, this can happen to each and every one of us. This can happen to us whether we're followers of Jesus or not. We can lose that momentum within our lives. And especially as Christians, we can lose that holy momentum within our lives. And we see that the enemy of our soul, Satan, he uses two weapons to derail the people of God, to stop the people of God from working for God and carrying out the mission and call of God. And these two weapons that the enemy uses, he still uses them today. These are his two primary weapons to ruin our walk with Jesus, to, to stop us from following Jesus, to stop us from doing what Jesus has called us to do. And he still uses them today. And over the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to look at very briefly, we're going to look at these two weapons and how we can overcome this attack from the enemy and regain that momentum in our lives. These two weapons are momentum killers. These are things that affect our, our energy. These are things that interrupt our work and our progress. They, these are things that steal our time and our energy and our love and our passion for God. And it can also have an effect on the impact that we make for God. And so today we're going to look at the first momentum killer and it's there in Haggai chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. We read it again together. It says, then October the 17th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How, in comparison, does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. We see to you the first momentum killer, the first weapon of the enemy that he uses against us when God is blessing us, when we have that holy momentum in our lives, where we have this love for Jesus and we're serving him. And as, as a church, when we know in God's momentum, the enemy will come and he'll use these two momentum killers. And the first weapon he uses is distraction. You know, the people of God, they've been making good progress. They had their priorities right, finally. Jesus, God was number one in their life. God was moving in their midst. 
and they were rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And they were about halfway through rebuilding the temple. But then all of a sudden, the enemy comes along and he gets the people of God to take their focus off the mission at hand. How does he do this? Does he bring in pleasures of this world, temptations of this world to to distract them and, and get them busy on other things? No, he doesn't do that. What the enemy does, he distracts them by getting the people of God to focus on the temple of the past. He gets them to look back and remember the past instead of looking at what God is doing today and doing what God is doing today. Now, it is important, I do want to say, for us as the people of God, it is good for us to look back at the past in times within our lives. It's good to look back on how God has worked within our lives, how he saved us, how he's moved in our lives, how he's answered prayer, how he's performed miracles, how he's done great things. It's important for us us to do that as a church, to be informed by our history. We honor God. We honor the past. We, We celebrate the past. We give thanks to God for the past, but we're not called to live in the past. And if we stop, start focusing on the past instead of focusing on what God is calling us to do today, then we will lose that holy momentum and we'll miss out on what God wants us to do within our lives. You know, my prayer in recent weeks is that the memories of the past wouldn't overtake my dreams for the future. That our memories as a church of the past wouldn't overtake the God-given dreams that he has for us for the future. And we see here the people of God, they were focusing on the old temple. They were reminiscing. They were thinking about how good the temple was and how this temple in comparison wasn't as good. These people were caught in the comparison trap. And we heard about that last week with Pastor Sam as he shared that word about comparison. We can all get caught in the comparison trap. And this opens the door for Satan to use his other weapon, which we'll look at next time. But, you know, you and I today, we can get caught in the comparison trap. We can look at other people and how God's blessing other people's lives especially through social media. We get this false snapshot into other people's lives. And we need to remember it's just a highlight. They don't post the bad things. They don't post the struggle. We don't know the story behind it. But, you know, so often we get enamored by how great everybody else's life looks, how God is blessing everybody else, that we miss out on what God is doing in our lives. And we begin to complain. We begin to grumble and mourn. We miss out on that. We compare our lives and our circumstances to other people. And even as a church, we do that. As a church, we look back at other church, we look at other churches and we look at the church of the past and we think our church just isn't as good as that today. As followers of Jesus, we do that. You know, we're, we're not as good as that person. We're not as holy as that person. I'm not as gifted or as talented as that person. Look how God's blessing that person's life. We can all get condemned by that. We can all live uh, caught in the comparison trap. And, you know, when, when that happens within our lives, you know, we get distracted. You know, not only does the enemy distract us by comparing ourselves with other people, but he'll bring, it, bring into our life temptations and pleasures, pleasures of this world to pull us away from Jesus, spending time with him and serving Jesus. You know, we often, don't we? We often make excuses why we don't know Jesus as well as we should, why we don't read the Bible, why we don't pray, why we don't go to church. We're always making excuse, excuses. And you know, when we become distracted, the enemy he begins to rub his hands together thinking, I've got them. You know, he doesn't have to send a, a legion of demons to distract us or hinder the work of God. All he knows that he has to do is just distract us, to shift our focus, to stop focusing on what God is calling us to do today, to take our eyes off Jesus and his work for us today. And that's what happened here to the people of God. They were focusing on the old temple 
And they were complaining. They began complaining that the current temple they were building was nothing compared to the temple that Solomon built, the grand temple that Solomon built. So what did God do for his people? How did God bring his people out of the comparison trap? And how did God get his people to, to not get distracted, to shift their focus again? And how can God do that for you and me? Maybe you're finding yourself distracted in this season from the Lord and from the things of God and what God is calling you to do. How does God solve that issue within our lives? What does God do? Well, we see here that God gives another message through his prophet Haggai. And it's another message of encouragement and challenge to the people of God. Verse 4 to 5 of Haggai 2 says this. But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised you when you came out of Egypt. So don't be afraid. What does God tell his people to do? He tells them, be strong. And get back to work. For he was with them. He was saying to his people, you may feel spiritually weak. You may think that the temple doesn't look as good as it did in the past. But it is still God's temple. And God is still going to do great things in that place. God is still going to move in that place. So get back to work. Keep finishing that temple. Don't stop now. But get back to work. God had given them a mission. And God wanted his people to rebuild the temple as best as they could. And God was encouraging them, you're not on your own, I'm with you. I'm still with you, I'm going to help you every step of the way. You know, as we come to a conclusion today, that's how you and I will overcome this tactic, this weapon of the enemy, this momentum killer, which can ruin the holy momentum within our lives and ruin our love for Jesus and our service for Jesus. You know, when we begin to take our eyes off the, off the Lord, when we get distracted and take our eyes off what God is calling us to do, then then we lose that momentum. But Jesus, I believe today, is encouraging all of us to once again fix our eyes on him, to stay focused and keep doing what he's calling us to do. We thank God for all he's done in the past. We thank God for how he's blessing other people. But I want to experience God's blessing in my life. I want to know what God's calling me to do. I want to be in love with Jesus more and more. And the way that we overcome this enemy, this tactic of the enemy, this momentum killer, is by carrying on doing what God has called us to do, staying laser focused and getting back to work. That's what God's calling us to do. You know, I love what the great preacher Billy Graham once said. He said this, learn to shut out the distractions that keep you from truly worshiping and serving the Lord. I believe that God wants us to do that, to learn to shut those distractions out, not to be lured away, not to take our focus off what God's calling us to do, but to keep our eyes on Jesus. God wants you to know him in a greater way. God wants you to experience his blessing, his love, his peace. You don't have to get jealous of other people because God's got a plan and purpose for you. God loves you. God wants to use you. God's going to do great things in your life. And I want to encourage you today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Seek him. Stop looking elsewhere. Seek Jesus and watch what Jesus will do in your life. There are people around us who need to know Jesus. People in our homes, workplaces, in the streets, in our society right now who need to know Jesus. And we as the people of God, we can't get distracted. God has called us here to be a church here, a light here in Abraham and in Aberdeen and hopefully in the future in other places as well as God blesses and as we follow God's leading. But God's got a mission for us. And I believe God wants to encourage us today to stop getting distracted, to stop looking away and get to work. 
And let's be encouraged that we are not on our own, that he is with us. Time is short. Jesus is coming again. And I believe God wants to encourage us today to follow the example of our Savior as well, who is laser-focused in his mission. And let's be encouraged that our Savior is with us every step of the way. As we come to an end today, I just want to read this passage of Scripture to us. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I pray it will be an encouragement to you and me today as we overcome this momentum killer, as we see God's blessing in our lives, as we keep living as a focus, pray we'll be encouraged by this. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. God won't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done. And I'm so grateful that we have our Savior, Jesus. We can follow his example. We can be keep our eyes fixed on him. Just like with Peter, when he took his eyes off Jesus on the water, he began to drown. But when he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on water. And I believe God wants to encourage you and I in these times. God's got a mission for us. He's got a plan for us. God is moving in our lives. God's moving in this church. And I pray that we wouldn't be derailed, that we wouldn't fall for this momentum killer, but that we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So I want to encourage you today. Let's keep looking at Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And let's get to work doing what God has called us to do and watch how God will move in and through your life and in and through the life of this church. Amen.